Hi, my name is Stephanie Ritu, and I'm a nurse on Shep4 Infusion, and I'm here with a good friend of mine who I also like to sometimes call my work wife. <laughs> Leslie Twitchell, and I'm a nurse on Miller 5 Hematology Oncology. I appreciate that stuff. <laughs> And we recently took over this podcast from Rob and Colleen, who have done an amazing job. I was um, their number one fan. I may or may not have had t-shirts made. (laughs) If you want one, just uh, contact me. Great. And our hope is to bring stories to nurses about nurses for nurses because we think nurses rock. Do you have a question you're dying to ask leadership here at the University of Vermont Medical Center? If so, send your question to nursingpodcast at uvmhealth.org. We'll bring it to leadership and read their answer to your question on the next podcast. Stay tuned. Hi, Steph. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. Um, We have a pretty exciting day today for everybody. So excited. (laughs) We have Dr. Stephen Leffler coming in. I know. I'm pretty excited to to talk to him about what's going on in the hospital. I agree. There's been a lot of stuff in the news lately, so that's important. Speaking of the news, Leslie. What? Did you hear about the coronavirus? Yeah, I did hear about it. Yeah. Uh, I heard about this guy who got the coronavirus and then got bit by a tick. What? Yeah, and he got corona and the Lyme. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, I okay. had to do it. I had that to do was it. moderately funny. <laughs> no, it was funny. Sorry, that, that was, was very my, funny. That was my husband's dad joke. Anyway, yeah, it's gonna. I think we're gonna have some good conversation with Dr. Leffler. It's um, he's got a big job to do. He does, yeah. and we're gonna get to the bottom of that. Yeah, and solve all the hospitals. Problems. All the hospitals yep. problems right today. I think it's gonna be great. Okay, so we have Dr. Stephen Leffler. He's the president of the University of Vermont Medical Center. Not the medical group, right? Just the medical center. The medical the whole, center. The medical center. Um, and we're going to, um, Steph and I are going to talk to him today about um, his new role as president and what's going on. So. All right. Tell us about yourself. Um, how and why did you get into medicine? I actually kind of fell into medicine. I went to college at UVM. I was a Vermont kid. I was the first in my family to go to college. And I started college, I was going to be a wildlife biologist. Mm. And I was the first in my family to go to college, and my dad was very clear that when you go to college, you're going to get a job. (laughs) Absolutely. Right, you weren't going to go be a liberal arts major. (laughs) And when I was halfway through UVM, I went to a job fair and there were no jobs. Like in that field, there was the room was empty. There were no jobs in Vermont? In in wildlife wildlife (laughs) biology. And so uh, I went home at the end of the semester and talked to my dad. He just said, what are you changing your major to? And um, uh, one of my good friends in high school, his brother had just returned home as a family doc, had just finished his residency. And so I went and shadowed him and really enjoyed a couple of days I spent with him. And on the second day, he said, hey, I'm moonlighting at Porter Emergency Department to pay off student debt. Do you want to go? And I went and I loved it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I loved being nice. an EO yeah. with him. Yeah. And so basically, no one in my family had ever been in medicine. It was a total left field turn. Leffler Field. Yes, exactly. Oh, man. Um, Nice. And so uh, I really went to, um, when I started medical school, I thought I might be a family doc and actually go back and Mm -hmm. work with uh, Dr. Field. 
but instead I really ended up really loving emergency medicine. Right. Nice, nice. Yeah, you never kind of, you always stayed in EDD, yes. right? stayed right there. And yeah. so what, so then within that trajectory, what made you say, and now I'm going to be president of the hospital? <laughs> <laughs> so a really good question. Some days I still ask myself now. Yeah. Um, so for the first 13 years of my career, I was a young academic emergency physician. I was teaching students, trying to be a good doctor, mm -hmm. see my patients. I was doing some publishing. We, I was writing some articles and just working as an academic physician. At this time, Ruth Uphold was running the emergency department. And in my 13th year, she said she was going to retire. And so at that point, I, I made the decision I wanted to apply to be the director of the emergency department and really set up a 10-year plan mm -hmm. where I wanted us to become a true academic department and I wanted the emergency department to get a residency. Mm -hmm. um, so this is 2006. And so we started doing the work to be to build out to what a residency would look like. You know, it takes about 10 years. And so we were doing all the pieces and I was starting to hire some more academic inclined doctors. We hired someone that had a PhD for to do some research. We started trying to build up a little bit of an endowment, mm -hmm. put the pieces in place. Yep. And while I was the um, director for the emergency department, um, they asked me to be the medical staff president, um, which is for the, all the medical staff. And I have to tell you, it wasn't something that I was burnt, had a burning desire to do. Right, right. <laughs> but at this point, I had been here long enough that I was hopeful to spend my career here. And I thought, this is something you should do as a service right. yep. to the medical staff work. Yeah. once yep. in your career. And it yeah. was a good time in my right. life. My kids were at a good age and so on. And so I did that. And while I was in that role, Mindy Esty was the president mm -hmm. and John Brumstead was the chief medical officer. Mm -hmm. And the medical staff president works every day with the chief medical officer. You're constantly working on right. issues together. And while I was the med staff president, Mindy left and John became the CEO of the hospital. Uh, right, right. Gotcha. And when John became CEO, he, he encouraged me to apply to be chief medical officer, which I had never considered. That was not really my part of my career path. Right, right. Yeah. It was really, an, once again, an interesting, different thing to do. And so I really struggled whether I wanted to do that or not. Because yeah. yeah. I liked being in the ER, I liked being the director. I had and, and you still had direct patient care, right? I was about half-time clinical, which was yeah. a really good mix. Mm -hmm. um, but I thought, you know, these are kind of things that happen once in your life, but once in a, a career opportunity. Sure. Right. Yeah. And uh, I liked Dr. Brumstead's vision for where he was trying to take healthcare in Vermont. And so I made the decision to become chief medical officer. I did that. And while I was in that role, things like accountable care organizations started and I, I was on the board for the ACO. And um, John and I realized that, you know, um, getting some more training in population health, healthcare administration would be a good thing. So while I was chief medical officer, I got my master's um, in healthcare delivery science from Dartmouth. Mm -hmm which was really busy, but it was great learning, really yeah. interesting stuff, working with great people, really opened my mind up a lot to what the opportunities were to really change how we deliver care and better models. And when I finished that, um, I became the population health officer for the network, okay. which is a super interesting job because you're really trying to think about how do you turn the system away from fee-for-service, how do you mm -hmm. turn it away from oh. all based on volume, and how do you make it drive on value? How do you make it work better? Um, for getting value-based payments, capitation, right, absolutely. whatever. Very interesting. But Whole it was, another podcast, right. by the way. Yes. <laughs> Everybody. Yes. Um, it'd, be, it'd be a great conversation. Yeah. And um, I was in that role. I was enjoying it. It was good work. It was um, very strategic work. I spent a lot of time thinking and out talking to our community and other partners across the, the region. And last year, when turmoil was happening here, Dr. Brumstead said, you know, um, 
I'd like you to step up and be the interim president of the medical center, which was really not part of my career path. I just have to tell you. <laughs> Seems like none of this yeah, will. I know. No, I mean, it's, it's true. I'll tell you. Getting back to falling into medicine, right? <laughs> I've had a couple come students say, like, how do you become the president of a hospital? I said, once I know, I'll tell you. Yeah. you <laughs> say yes too much. Yeah. Right, right, and so, um, but I am a person that when someone asks me to do something, I'm a big try service yeah, leader. And so yes, I right? said yeah. um, that, I, that I would do it as interim. I didn't know if I would like it. Yep. I didn't know if I could do it. I yeah. didn't know what, what it would be like. Um, but I found out pretty quickly after I started that um, I really did like it. And I was really interested. And I care greatly about this institution. I mm -hmm. care greatly right. about what we do. And so having the ability to really shape our future was um, something that I've loved doing. And I really like my new job. Yep. And I, I remember talking to you in October. And so and you were like, yeah, I'm going to apply. I, I don't just want to be the interim. Yeah. I want to be the president. And um, so you must have made that decision along the way. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it a year right now, we're going through the edge presentations, right. mm -hmm. which was really tough and a really yeah, tough time. But important. To, yeah. Really important. Really, really important. tough. Yeah. And um, but and that was hard. But I made the commitment I was going to go to all of them. And I was going to try and get us through a tough spot. That was my initial goal. <laughs> just get us through this tough spot and figure out what's going on. But by about pretty early, May or so, I was really liking it. Mm -hmm. um, I could already feel some little things were changing. Mm -hmm. I could feel there was some good stuff going on. And at that point, um, I thought, I'm going to apply for this and see if um, it's possible I could do this job. Because right. you did definitely come in in a very um, interesting time where we're opening the Miller Building, and then we're going to do Epic, and then we're going to do some cultural rework. Like, right. that is a very... Um, it wasn't a smooth sailing. <laughs> right. We weren't coming into some smooth sailing. Yeah. We, we as an institution have had a lot of challenges over the last couple of years. I mean, if you go back as far back as the strike, mm -hmm. even before right. that, yep. right. from there to now, we've been through some choppy water, yeah. right? right? But there's been some amazing things in there. Absolutely. I mean, yep. the Miller Building opening... Unbelievable success. Unbelievable. Walk through right. that any day just puts a huge smile on my face to see the patients and their families getting care in those rooms, the nurses delivering care from those pods with the two rooms. It's unbelievable. Yep. Epic. We're still working through some issues, but overall, that's going to be such a game changer for our patients mm -hmm. um, and a game changer for how we can move patients and providers around the system when we need to. Correct. Yeah. Really important. Um, we're having some financial challenges right now, but the bottom line is the people here are so good mm -hmm. um, that it makes it, even when you're struggling through tough stuff, um, I want to come every day. I want to work on this stuff with the people that are here. I want to make it better. I'm committed to my career here. And so I know that we have the right people to, to address these tough things. Right. Yeah. I saw, so I saw you the night before you knew whether or not you were getting the yeah. job. <laughs> so you were yes. potentially out of a job <laughs> yes. that day. Yes. I offered you a job on Miller 5. Thank but, you. Yeah. Thank you. And the tech position, I was really looking for. Yeah, I know, right, I am. Yeah, yeah I, I know some people. But my question is, do you still do some shifts in the ED ever? And we also heard that you shadowed an OR nurse. Yes. So what? tell us about that. First off, I still love clinical care. Yeah. So let's start with that. And and um, I have realized, and so when I was the chief medical officer, it was relatively easy to protect a whole Friday and do a Friday shift in the ER. Mm -hmm. And so through my chief medical officer time and even population health you had some pretty good control over your schedule, and so I could protect a day yeah. or an evening right. and get down there and do enough shifts so you could stay good at it. What happened in this job was <laughs> I initially naively thought I'd be able to protect Fridays mm -hmm. and do my shifts, but what happened was every week, it turns out this is not a four-day-a-week job. <laughs> oh, really? I, you can't yeah. do, you can't so do right. four tens. Right. You can't do four, four tens. tens. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't covering it. There was always something going on. 
And so for like a month or two, I was canceling every Friday, which was bad for my ER partners who had to cover for me. And it was bad because I wasn't getting down there. And so I went and met with Dr. Harrington and said, look, I love being down here, but can we change it? Can we make my role a little bit differently? And so he was able to work with me and the staff down there. And now I typically work Friday mornings and then now Carrie, my assistant, can schedule stuff around that so she can put stuff in the afternoon or a lunch meeting or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I try and work from, like, say, 7 to 11 or 7 to noon. Um, it gets me down there, which I like. It's yeah, as much for right. me as for... 100 <laughs> I get to see some patients, take <laughs> totally. care of some people, and I've really been enjoying that. So I'm going to do that for as long as they'll let me go down there. Yep. <laughs> um, yes. So one of the things that's really fun is a lot of people, I've been talking to them about their jobs, and I met with the care coordinators from the OR, and they were talking about what they did and what their challenges was. And I had to admit that I didn't even completely understand what they did. Yeah. And so they said, come hang out with us. We had a great time. I bet you did. <laughs> I went to the OR. We got to go in a bunch of different rooms. We saw a total joint. We saw a urology procedure. And I saw all the amazing work that they're doing yeah. behind the scenes to make all that go. Right. So um, if people want to invite me, I'll come You'll hang out with them. Right? <laughs> yeah. get, get me out of Patrick 3. You heard it here first. Yes. yes. Okay. There's a code brown down the hallway. <laughs> yes. I've been there. Dr. Yeah. Okay. Loeffler's on it. Yeah. Um, so we were talking to you at an interesting time. I think everybody saw your email come out about the financial state of the hospital and the network. And I guess, do you have anything to say about that and where we're going? And the ho We always knew that um, opening the Miller Building, which was critically important for patient care, okay. and doing Epic, which was really important for the overall power of the network and being able to move people around. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We're going to be big, giant projects. They have a big price tag. They actually take a big cultural change. But when you do things like that, they're going to have a financial impact. So we knew that 19, 20, and potentially 21 were yeah. going to be tougher years for a whole bunch of reasons. And then it, theoretically, things are going to start easing up coming out of that. Um, it's been even a little rockier yeah. than we expected. Really good reasons for it. Um, so we have to weather this storm. Mm -hmm. I will tell you that um, having the fanny um, challenges right, added yeah. on didn't help, right. but that's not the whole problem. Right. That's one piece of something that already no, was, was a challenge. It's, right. it's one more piece. <laughs> yeah. But at the end of the day, we will be okay. I'm very confident we're going to get through this. I'm very confident we're going to come out of this in a strong place. Yep. We just all have to basically make sure right now that we're watching our nickels and dimes and right. making sure that we're not spending needless money. And we're, if you think about it, you know, 60% of our budget is our staff. Mm -hmm. That's exactly how it should be. Yep. We're a people-driven business. Yep. Right. It's the expertise we have here. And you'll never, ever hear me ever say, as long as I'm president, that when we need people to care for our patients, that we're not going to do those. So even what we're doing now, patient care-focused positions will get approved. What we're going to be smart about is other stuff around the edges. Yep. Yep. And we're just going to slow it down till we get back on track. Yeah. Um, and i was been talking about this quite a bit. So what you have to understand is the mar we make a margin. We don't make a profit because we're a nonprofit institution. And the margin is basically the money that's left at the end of the year after you pay all your bills. Right. Just like in your house. Right. Yep. Our margin really serves three purposes. Only three things. We're nonprofit. Margin comes back into the hospital. doesn't go out to shareholders. Mm -hmm. it serves three purposes. Number one is how we pay our people and give people raises, salary increases, job changes. It's how we pay our people, number one. Number two is how we do upgrades in our facilities. So that's how you build the Miller Building. Right. That's how you redo McClure 5, NICU projects, ED upgrades. Shep 4 Infusion. Shep 4 Infusion. <laughs> yes, good job getting yeah, that in yeah, there. You're welcome, Shep, yeah. That's exactly right, Shep 4 Infusion. And it's how we update our equipment when we need new CAT scans and MRIs and mm -hmm, new infusion yep. equipment and all those things. 
That's what our margin does. You need over time, over time a margin of about 4%. If you mm. look at how well-run healthcare systems, 4% is the amount that you need to basically have enough money year over year to invest in those three big things. Yeah. And if you make less than that, you're, you're robbing one of those three areas. Gotcha. So we can be less for a year or two. We're fine. We just spend a lot of money on mm-hmm. big things like Epic and Miller. But we can't be less for a long time or we're basically eating in to one of those other three buckets. Yep. So it's in all of our interest, everyone here, to help us work towards a 4% margin because when we have that, things will run smoothly. All the things that we need to do will happen without huge difficulty. When we have less, we're going to have to make tough choices. Yeah, right. And I think I appreciate the transparency of it. When we're at the bedside, I don't necessarily am like, oh, we got to make our margins, you know? I'm not thinking about that. (laughs) And so I think when we see those things as nurses, we kind of are, it makes us a little uncomfortable and we're not sure where it's going. And so it's nice to like hear it explained and... right. And I, th- and I think that sort of leads us into our, our last sort of structured cre- question for you, which is what, because this is a podcast for nursing, although we do have a varied listener population, um, what's a particular takeaway you'd like nursing to know with regard to anything, your presidency, to any of, you know, sort of your vision for the hospital moving forward? One of the reasons that I love being an ER doc is I love team-based care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love being in the room where everyone has their job and everyone's doing their thing and we're all doing our job equally and working together to manage something. And so I am all about everyone here has an important job, no matter what you do. I really feel like administration's job is to give all the people at the bedside the tools they need to do an exceptional job. I really feel like that's my job. And all of our administration's job is to make sure you have what you need. Mm -hmm. And yes, we may have to manage through some tough stuff right now. And yes, we have a super high census. But at the end of the day, when you're at the bedside, You shouldn't really be worried about the margin. You should be worried about taking good care of that patient and doing the right thing and providing high quality care. What I will tell you is I greatly respect all care providers. Um, The nurses in the ER and across this hospital and everywhere do incredible work. I'm really proud to work with you and call you colleagues. Um, And I know that all of us together, all of us working can make this an exception. It already is an exceptional place. Could make it even better than it is. So I'm a big believer team-based care. All for one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we also wanted to talk to you about kind of what's going to go on with, with the culture of the hospital. I know when you started, we were talking about what happened was that we had the etch strategies and what came out of that and and kind of where the you see the hospital going with that. So, Steph, that's probably the number one question I get, you know, what's going on with culture? And I think it is because as I started into this role, the Edge presentation, rolling out 36 presentations, and they were really focused around really three major themes, distrust, Mm -hmm. disrespect, discontent, Hmm. and a real lack of transparency. If you actually go back and look at them, because I I went to 36 of those presentations, (laughs) they they really focused on those four big things. And, yeah. and it was, you know, that um, people here in, in many ways didn't feel like they were hearing or getting what they needed from leadership. And so they felt like they were upset about that. The first thing you realize about culture is that you can't change culture on a dime for better or worse. Right. Okay. You don't right, right. get to a bad place in a week. You don't get to a bad place in two weeks. It takes time. Right. And you don't, and, and probably even takes a little longer to fix it. So as I was taking over and I was listening to everybody and I was seeing what was going on and I was talking to everyone I could and I asked literally every person I met up with, what do you think we should do about the culture? What do you think the big issues are? What I started to realize is that culture is really what each and every one of us, all 8,000 of us do every single day. Mm-hmm. It's how we all yeah. think and act 
in every encounter every day yep. with each other, to our patients, to our community. I'm an ER doc. It would have been very easy two weeks after the ETCH results were done to roll out a poster and a little ad campaign saying, this is our new culture. <laughs> right, right. That would have done nothing. Right. And we can't afford to get it wrong. So literally, we spent the last year talking to everybody here about what they value, mm -hmm. what they want, starting to basically show up in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, so I and the leadership team have committed to being transparent talking yeah. about tough issues, talking about our finances, yep. talking about what's going on, having those conversations, answering tough questions, being more visible, being out there, listening to people. And we were doing some of this before, but it's much more intentional now, really making sure that we understand people's perspectives. So we spent a lot of time in this last year out there. The good news is the value statement that the medical center already has really talks about transparency. Right. It talks about compassion, the one thing I'll say in our current value statement is I think it, when, you, when I read it, it looks to me as talking more about our patients mm -hmm. than each other. Mm -hmm. And I keep adding on and each other and, each other, yep. and respect. We're respectful in all of our encounters. So right now, the leadership team, we every once a month, we have a Culture Tuesday morning and we work on those issues. We talk about what's happened in the past month. Um, we're, we're starting up right now a search for our new HR leader, Lori Gunn, who's been here right. 20 years, is leading. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. When we get that VP person here, he or she will um, be instrumental in moving more of this forward. But I do want people to really understand that it doesn't sound sexy or exciting, but there's been a lot of culture change already right. since last year. Right. Yep. Okay. Um, and if you don't feel it, that's okay. But I just want you to think about how you felt last February. Mm-hmm. And how you're feeling now about your colleagues. And I think there's some good examples. I think the daily pulse check, yep. where we come together and we think about problems in the hospital and think about them, how all of us can help each other, is a big change. Yep. I think we're using committees more to think about, help advise how we should take on these issues. Yep. Those are changes. And there's more to come. Yeah. And what I can tell you is you can never take your eye off culture. Culture should be on our strategic plan forever. Right, yep. We should always be working on it because it's one of those things where if you neglect it, it will go bad. It wasn't terrible. There was bad things that happened. Mm -hmm. that got us in the situation we were. There were still great people doing great things here. Mm -hmm. um, but being more intentional about really how we treat each other, how we respect each other, how we really have honest, tough conversations and deal with issues, the work that we've really been doing the last year. And I know one thing that I took when I was listening to a lot of the etch is trying to not go with the negative um, and not go with thinking people are like hiding things and trying to. So I may not understand why that's why that's going on, but but that doesn't mean that they're doing it. That it's to coming be hurtful, from a, right, right? That it's, it's coming from a negative place. Right. And I and I think too, like if you look at all the big companies, even in in this country, that we appreciate, they're always um, rejoicing their culture, right? I mean, I think that to think big and to be leaders, you have to pay attention to culture because otherwise you, I think you wallow a little bit. And I think it's, I agree. I think that we going forward, we will always have to nurture our culture. I mean, I've been saying this and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. There's no reason that we can't be the best employer in this region. Mm -hmm. we, we have the right mission, right? We're helping people. We're doing good work. We have great people who are here who are mission-driven, who love being here. Mm -hmm. um, we have many things that could make this the best place to work. There's work we have to do to get there. Yep. But imagine the future. Like, you know, I mean, people on this podcast now see that oftentimes we're treated negatively in the paper, on the news and stuff. But if we had 8,000 people 
who all loved working here, mm -hmm. who understood why we're here, what we're doing, all the good that's happening, and they were out talking about how good it is, it would be a totally different situation. I mean, it could that would change Vermont. That would like, change it, Vermont. Right. It really right. would. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're, right. we're the would. largest employer in the state. Yeah. Right. Okay. And so I've been saying I think we have the opportunity to have 8,000 people who are leaders here mm -hmm. and talking about all the good that's going on mm -hmm. and are advocates for our patients. How do we solve the staffing problem here? How do we attract people to come to Vermont to work and, you know, keep and them, keep them here? And, and maybe here. even keep younger workers in Vermont, which I think is a not just a UVMMC problem, but certainly so the nursing pieces. I tell you of all the things that makes a president lose sleep is how do you have enough workers to do the work that needs to yeah. be done? Mm -hmm. It's one of the big ones. And, and we have a big challenge in Vermont. It's not only the medical center. Right. It's all the hospitals are facing the same issues. We spend a lot of money right now on travelers. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, every dollar excess spent on a traveler is a dollar we should be using for some other better purpose. Yep. Okay, the three things we talked about, our right. own staff, right. our own facilities, our own enhanced equipment. So it's in everyone's interest. I want to be clear on that. Yep. It's in nursing's interest. It's in the, in the leader's interest. It's in our patient's interest to have the people work here full time or whatever is the right amount of time and be committed to staying here. I actually believe there will not be a one size fits all solution. Right. I think number one, there's a little work going on this now. We should be figuring out how to keep people who graduate from our state colleges mm -hmm. that are in nursing or other health professions, how do we get them to stay? Yeah. Do we offer them scholarship money? I just heard yesterday that we have 13 UVM senior nurses who are committed to the medical center for two years. Oh, great. That's Because they're getting a scholarship in the end of their uh, fourth year of yeah, school wonderful. to stay. So that's 13. So if you think about it, those 13, if they come love working here, right. start to get established in Burlington, there's a good chance they'll stay. I think we should think about ways to expand that and grow it. Mm -hmm. Can we do it with other colleges? And the governor's looking into And the governor's um, looking into in, that. Yeah. So I think part one of our, our situation is how can we grow our own? Yep. I think we should be thinking about all health professions. How do we figure out how do we, people that yes. are training here stay here? Steph's yeah. big on that. She okay. really feels like tra training from LNA up. Yeah. And, right. and I love that, right? Yeah. Um, let's make sure everyone's working at the top of their license. Yep. Let's make sure we have career advancement ladders in the hospital so that people that are here and de dedicated to being here can do different jobs here. Like maybe you can go from an ER doc to the president. Right. Or maybe a nurse to the chief nurse. Right. But right, giving those people that opportunity, yeah. right. right, to be so, able to get the schooling that they need to right. advance their career. And then I think we have to be smart about, and, and I don't know the answer to this. Um, I know right now we offer some bonuses to try and hire people. I know mm -hmm. some people think bonuses is a good tool. Some people think we should just put it all in salaries because if you pay the salaries better, that would do it. I will tell you that I'm open to whatever works. Yeah, if, absolutely. If, if there's good evidence that one, and maybe we should try some different things. Right. Like maybe we should test out some different models. I will tell you that since I've been in this role almost the whole time, we added on a recruiter for nursing to try and recruit more permanent nurses. And we have had some success. Okay. Well, but I mean, that's an expense. And it's an right. expense when we're trying to control costs. But one extra recruiter, if they bring us in an extra six or eight or 10 nurses, the savings on travelers 
easily pays for that. Yeah. Sure. Well, and I think you, I think you're also dealing with a population of new nurses that want to travel, and so how? To, That's a culture shift, yeah. right? I think. And I yeah. think In how how do you attract? You know, yeah, right. How do you attract that, or how do you shift that, or or maybe you don't, and you have to adapt to that. Adapt to the and, travel ideology. And maybe yeah. people, and maybe part of our job is that when the travelers are here, we make it so great when they're here that they want to come back they and stay. have a permanent job. Yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. that is. Yep. Maybe they travel for a year right? and they come back yeah. and come back. You know, and I think part of that thing we just talked about it being the best place to work is how do we have fair, good, competitive wages? Mm-hmm. How do we have good benefits packages? How do we do that in a, in a world where healthcare is expensive and we also right. are obligated to manage that? But I'm open to suggestions, ideas, because it's so important. Yeah. So once again, I think we're starting to have a big conversation now about what is the best way to retract and retain mm-hmm. yep. all levels of health care providers, in- including and especially sure. nurses. Yeah. You're going to have everybody knocking on your door. All right. Thanks, Dr. Leffler. Now we have some rapid fire questions for you. So we really want you to sort of answer what comes to mind. First thing, <laughs> Steph, all you right. start. All right. Coffee or tea? Tea. What? I'm not a coffee drinker. <laughs> I know, it's amazing. I made it through medical school. I'm not a coffee drinker. Oh, good. Well, well, I sorry. didn't know. I, I, would, See, I am surprised. why we do this. Yeah. It's why we do this. <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, beer, wine, or seltzer? Beer. All right. Wow. Which is worse, vomit or sputum? Sputum. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, Great. 100%. Yeah. If you're at a wedding, do you watch or do you dance? I'm a dancer. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, harvest or Main Street? Harvest. Mm-hmm. If you're a superhero, um, would you rather be invisible or would you rather be able to fly? Fly. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And are you a little bit of rock and roll or a little bit of country? Both, but I'm more. I'm a classic rock guy. Uh, All right. <laughs> Thank you so much oh, for being here today. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Fun. yeah, that's great. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Yeah, my yeah. pleasure. All right. Hi, I've got Greg Lemoy here from Employee Wellness with our Wellness Minute. Thank you so much, Leslie. My name is Greg Lemoy. I'm a certified health and wellness coach with the UVM Medical Center Employee Wellness Department. And really, I'm here to discuss a few opportunities for all employees. Great. So March is National Nutrition Month, and we do have a nutrition campaign. It's called Flavors for Change. This year, we're going to focus on the flavor wheel and the different flavors that are recognized by our taste buds. Those flavors are sweet, salty, bitter, sour, and savory. And really it's an opportunity for you to trial and correct some new healthy activities to enhance your life. Additionally, Employee Wellness is really excited to share our brand new Employee Wellness portal with all of you. So if you have yet to do so, please visit mywellnessvt.com or access our new portal through the wellness intranet page. And please know that you are always welcome to email wellness at uvmhealth.org with any questions. That's fabulous, Greg. Thanks so much. I can't wait to take advantage of those great new habits. Especially because you're a salty. I'm such a salty. And I'm a sweet. (laughs) That's why we work so well together. Exactly.